little gloomy there, but I am happy to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Uh, just before I, I start, I have a few things to share. Um, I'm going to invite Lily here, uh, and maybe she can sit. We're going to show her a video. Uh, you, you, you can be in the front of your life. Uh, Lily uh, gave her life to Jesus Christ last year in the month of October. And you might say, well, I missed it. Well, we all missed it. She was baptized in Pennsylvania. And so we have a little video there. We've never formally accepted her into our church family. So today's the day. All right. So you can see there um, Lily and Mr. Easley. I started teaching her when she was in second grade or third grade. Third grade. I can't remember which grade it was. It's been so long. <laughs> so, it, you know, I've watched her. I've taught her. I was there when she graduated from eighth grade. And now I, I get to be here when she gives her life completely, completely to the Lord in baptism. And so it, it just, it's, it's humbling. But I want you to know, Lily, that it is an honor and a privilege be here to do this and be part of this. And so, because you have a desire with all your heart to serve the Lord with all of your being, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. accepting Jesus into their heart. And so if, if you're here sitting and you have not made the decision, I'm, I'm here to talk with you after service if you'd like. Lily, if you, you can come, there's a gift for, uh, for you. Uh, we'd like to welcome her. So how many of you that are church members of this church welcome Lily into our family? You see, Lily, this is your new home. Amen. All right? And I would like to pray with you as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lily has accepted you publicly into her heart. And Father, she's done it at a, at a crucial age and where she's very young. And so, Lord, I pray that the rest of the, her decisions, her life decision here to come, that you may guide her, give her the wisdom, and that she may be a woman of Proverbs 31, Lord. So for your honor and your glory, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit and that she may... Be, uh, become not just any member, but a member that honors and glorifies you wherever she's at. Lord. We thank you for what you have done and will continue to do in her heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So after church, if you like, just welcome her. Many of us did not know, but now we know. So if you can go ahead and just let her know that we're happy that she's part of our church now. So thank you, Lily. Amen. And my other thing here is... What's going to happen here in Marshfield, May 7th? Can anyone tell me? There's a grief seminar. So Mike Tucker, if, I, if you may not know who he is, look him up on YouTube. He used to be the uh, speaker for Faith for Today. There are flyers out there where the bulletins are. And so I have one here. They're pretty big here. He's coming May 7th, 1.30 to 6 p.m. And, you know... A lot of people during COVID felt lonely, depressed, they developed anxiety because 
as you may know, what happened was when you, got, when you had COVID, a lot of people feared and stayed home. And so that created a lot of distress mentally. And so we're going to have him speak on those type of topics, communication, depression, anxiety. And so if you have someone in mind, a loved one, a friend, make sure to invite these individuals because God is coming soon and he wants us to be prepared and he wants us to be a light in this community. And so we're trying to be a light in this community and, and, and so that when they hear uh, that there is hope in Jesus through Pastor Mike Tucker. So please invite those people. If you need flyers, as I said, they're uh, towards where the bulletins are. And so uh, at the end of the, uh, our, our meeting here today, we'll have a, a, a deacon or deaconess go uh, stand at the door, just pass them out, and, and just let them know how much you need, and uh, they'll provide. And if we don't have enough, we'll get that for next week. So with that said... Let's go ahead and begin. And today is a, is a special day. Any, any, any Sabbath is a special day. But today, more importantly, we celebrate what God gave to us thousands of years ago. Well, I wouldn't say thousands, but a couple thousand. Two thousand to be exact. And it was a Thursday night where he sat with his disciples, his disciples not knowing what was taking place, yet he knew that his time was coming. So I, I pray that as we partake of this, that we recommit ourselves to the Lord. Let me tell you, there is no sin that God cannot forgive, that God cannot reach. There's no soil too, too rough or too hard that God's grace cannot break. And so as we partake of this, remember what it means. So let's pray. Father in heaven, as I share your message this morning. May your Holy Spirit come with power that as we remember what you did for us and, have do, and is doing for us and are doing, sorry, may we humble ourselves to you at the feet of the cross and allow you to mold us and shape us into the very person you want us and, is call, and are calling us to be. May your Holy Spirit be poured out with power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn to your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and when you get there, please let me know by saying an amen. Hebrews chapter 11, we might know this chapter as what? The faith chapter, some say the hall, uh, you know, in Hollywood we go, if you've been to Hollywood, you see a, 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 a sidewalk and there's stars and it's the, 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 the hall of fame, they call it. And I would dare to call this chapter 11, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the hall of fame of faith. And it's interesting how Paul gets to that chapter and we're going to do a little context here. But I want to let you know into uh, a little bit about me. If you've heard this, bear with me. But if, if not, you see, I became convinced, well, at first, at first I still doubted. But at the age of 14, that's when I was impressed by God to become a pastor. Yet, I did not know how the journey would be. But let me tell you that at first, I was confused. And there were times of disappointment in my life, frustration, 
and, and all these sorts of things. And I ask myself many times, why is God silent? And perhaps this morning as you see the news, as you, you, you look at uh, news outlets, you see what's happening in Ukraine. We just uh, are barely getting over a pandemic. I mean, there's immorality going on in our public schools. I mean, it seems that it's not getting any better. And you might ask yourself, where is God in all of this? Why is he silent? Or perhaps you're going through something right now. And, and it seems like the more you pray, the more God is silent. And I've been there. I've been disappointed, confused, as I said, frustrated at God. But this morning, I want to let you know that your biggest setback is an opportunity for God to show you and I that he's been in the making of something greater. Because when God is silent, he is working. And you see, the early church was going through a tough time in the, Hebrew, in, in, in the Hebrews. were going through a tough time. There was persecution going on. Some of them, persecution was so bad that they were beginning to say, you know what, it was better for me before I had accepted Jesus Christ. And they were thinking about throwing the towel and saying, I can't look at it, and I can't fathom, I can't think about the, the fact that my family is going through all this persecution because we accepted God, and they had thought that everything was going to be, be well off, but yet, the more they converted, the more God transformed them, the more persecution happened. And so Paul, trying to encourage them, I believe Paul was the author of this, this epistle, of this letter, and it's more actually of a, of a sermon. Paul comes and he, he tries to encourage them. He brings them back. If you look at the early chapters, he, he talks about God being the creator, the one that was enthroned by God and gave, given everything by God, talking about Jesus. And he walks them through and he says, go to the throne of grace boldly in chapter 4. You see what you used to do, the, the Israelite nation used to do, they used to sacrifice all these things and, and they had to do it in a daily basis. But because of Jesus Christ, that, that sacrifice was once and for all and was able to clean and cleanse every single person who accepts Jesus Christ. And he walks them through all these encouraging, encouraging thoughts. And, and I can picture Paul. You can picture Paul saying, okay, what, Lord, what, what must I do to just give him that punchline, just to, to encourage him, to motivate them, to push them. And after he's kind of given them a, 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 a thorough explanation of the gospel, of Je- who Jesus Christ is, where he is at the moment, and what he has done, and how he never gave up, he says, you know what? I'm going to remind them of these people that were just like them. And he writes chapter 11 of Hebrews. Not just for them, but for us. Because when God is silent, he is working. And he starts off chapter 11. If you could join me in chapter 11. And he, he, now he gives a practical way of, of, of living this life that people would want, wanted to give up, where, where people said, where is God in all of this? And you might be asking yourself, everything seems like it's just going downhill. You see, prophecy tells us that it's not going to get any better. But prophecy also tells us that God will protect his people. 
that he's going to be there with his people. And so he encourages them by giving examples, and you can go down the list. He mentions Abel. He mentions David. He mentions Samson. He mentions all these people relate to, that were people that fell short of the glory of God, but yet Hebrews 11 tells us that they looked at this world as their home, like not like their home. And so he encourages them, and he gives them the, all these individuals, and he talks about Abel, and, and let me tell you, sometimes he talks about Noah, and, and faith is, is living, and, and, and what he was trying to tell people about Abel was, you see, faith sometimes is is living, but sometimes faith will take you to die because of Jesus Christ. And and, and he talks about Noah, and he says, faith is obeying the word of God despite of everyone making fun of you. You see, sometimes faith is like Abraham and, and, and staying or leaving what you seem to call home. And When he talks about Sarah, he's trying to bring out that faith is also believing in God's word. And Joseph, faith is also suffering for the sake of your call. And Moses, faith is denying the riches of this world for a better treasure. But but he ends his chapter, and this is what I want to focus on this morning as we partake of communion. It says that in verse, in our scripture reading, I'm sorry, yes, our scripture reading. Chapter 11, verse 30. Sorry, verse 37. 39. No, but we'll start at 37. It says, They were put to death by stoning, talking about some of the individuals that passed before them. There were sawed in two that were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. And look what it says, 38. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And verse 39 says, These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had what? Been promised. Why? Why was it that these people faithfully lived for God yet did not receive the promise? Verse 39 answers that. Verse 40, sorry. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with with us would they what? Made perfect. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, these individuals have laid to rest. But everything will be complete when we are gathered all together. Brothers and sisters, we have a, we have a road ahead of us. We have a road ahead of us that sometimes may not look easy, may not be easy. Many times you'll go through, because let me tell you this, Christianity comes with hardship. Christianity 
comes with tribulation. Christianity comes with suffering. But all those things, let me rest assure you that Jesus Christ will walk with you every step of the way. He's promised to be with you. And the promise is, it's a beautiful one that these people that, that we read of will not be complete until all of us are gathered together. And then they will receive the promise. Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18 tells us of an angel. Of an angel, 18. We've heard about the three angels' message, but after the three angels' message has been preached with power, the Bible tells us that there is a fourth angel coming, and, and John sees this, and he says in Revelation chapter 18, after this, verse 1, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great, what? Authority, and the earth was illuminated. By his splendor. I believe, you know, yes, uh, yesterday I had the opportunity to, to do a funeral. And, and of course, it's always a sad time to see and, and to partake of it. But there's, there's hope for all of us. But in talking with, with a, a lady there, and I shared in my, in my uh, homily there that Jesus Christ was coming again, and he's coming sooner than we think. And so afterwards, she chatted with me, and she said, Pastor, you know, the disciples even thought that. And it is true. The disciples even thought that Jesus would come in their lifetime. She says, and, and yet he's not here. But you see, you may be thinking that or have heard those things. But there's a key thing that did not happen in those days that are happening now. Because the Bible says in Matthew 24 that the people's heart will do what? Grow cold. In addition to that, she said, he's, uh, Jesus says that it will be like birth pains happening more frequently. And yes, of course, we've always had famine in this world because of sin. We've had hurricanes. We've had pestilence. We've had all of those things. But nowadays, if you look at the data in Google, you will see those things happening back to back in more frequent terms, faster and faster and faster. I mean, we just go back about four, four years before the pandemic happened. There was a big fire in the Amazons. And Am the Amazons in Brazil are the lungs of this earth. And they almost were wiped out. Soon after that, we hit a pandemic. And now that a pandemic's almost over, we have a war in Ukraine. Back to back to back. Brothers and sisters, and Revelation chapter 18 tells us that there is an angel coming, and I believe that is happening, that he is preparing God's people to be filled with his spirit. And where are you at this moment? Where are you in your walk with Jesus? Because the Bible says that those that have passed would not be made perfect until we are ready, until Jesus comes and gets all of us. You see, the communion service, when we partake of it, is pro proclaiming that we believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. But also is accepting Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross to forgive all of our sins. 
to wipe all of our sins and claim the promise that when we are in Jesus, we are a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. But where are you at this moment? Because communion serves to, for you to recommit yourself to Christ. As I said before, there is no hard soil hard enough for Jesus' grace to break it. Have you been struggling during these days? Is there friction maybe in your marriage or with people at church or with friends or loved ones at work? What is it that you and I have been struggling with? Jesus does not overlook because he wants to help us all. Paul gives us the solution to how to persevere, to be in that group that will make everyone complete. Verse chapter 12 of Hebrews, and with this I finish. Therefore, you see, when, when, and you've got to catch that. He's saying therefore. In other words, take in mind what I just told you earlier. Take in mind, right? Take in mind that I've just tried to motivate you, telling you about all these people that have come before you and how they were able to live faithfully and that you and I will be complete, they will be complete when we are all gathered with Jesus. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off what? Everything that hinders that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with what? Perseverance. The race marked out for us. So we ought to rate to we ought to run. Fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We ought to fix our eyes on who? On Jesus. And he goes on to say, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and set at the right hand of the throne of God. Revelation chapter 3 says, I'm at the door knocking. He who hears my voice, I will enter in what? Dine with you. And he says after, and I will give you that privilege to sit with me on the right hand, just like I have sat with the Father. Jesus Christ is in his throne. He is still in the making of healing hearts, broken hearts. He is still in the making of renewing our spirits. And, and, and He is still in the making of reviving our bones if they've been dried due to guilt, due to shame. He is still in the making of giving you and I another opportunity. And so as you partake of this communion, remember, there is nothing that we can do that God can't forgive. And there is so much more that God wants to give to us so we can experience a life of fullness and joy. If you have not made the decision, if your life is not where you're at and Satan's pushing you to this, this edge of saying, it's too late. I'm here to tell you that in Jesus' name, it's never too late.
He died for you and I. And so as you remember, take the promises. Get closer to God. Recommit yourself to God and allow his death and resurrection to renew your spirit with God's Holy Spirit. So as we partake of this, as, as, as you walk out at this moment, the doors will be open and as you go into the hallway, as you're exiting towards the parking lot, the first door on your right will be for the ladies. The second door on your, on your right will be for the men. And then to your left, the last door on your left will be for couples. So please make your way to these uh, rooms that are set up. There will be deacons and deaconesses willing to help in whatever you need. And so please partake of this. For those kids and children that will not be participating, there will be a, ch- a children's story going on at this moment for them. And for the rest of the adults that stay here, you're welcome to hear the story for the children. Right. Hello, everyone. Do you want to come see the pictures, Nehemiah? No? You'll just listen by Mimi? Okay. Okay. All right, ladies, attention here. Thank you. Okay, our story today is called Just the Way You Are. I almost fell over there. Long time ago, in a land much like your own, there was a village, and in the village lived five orphans. A lonely family of fatherless children, they banded together against the cold. One day, the king learned of their misfortune and decided to adopt them. He announced that he, the king, would be their father and would come for them soon. When the children learned that they had a new father and that their father was the king and that the king was coming to visit, they were wild with excitement. When the people of the village learned that the children had a father and their father was the king and that the king was coming to the, val- to the village, they were excited as well. And they went out to see the children and they told them what to do. You need to impress the king, they explained. Only those with great gifts to give will be allowed to live in the castle. The people didn't know the king. They just thought that all kings needed to be impressed. So the children began preparing gifts to offer the king. They worked long and hard to be sure that the king would approve. One of the children, who knew how to carve, decided to give the king a wonderful work of wooden art. He set his knife against the soft bark of an elm, and he whittled. The small blocks of wood came alive with the eyes of a sparrow, the nose of a horse his sister decided to present the king with a painting that captured the beauty of the heavens a painting worthy to hang in his castle 
Another sister chose music as her way to impress the king. For long hours, she practiced with her voice and mandolin. Village people would stop at the window and listen as her music took wings and soared. Yet another child set out to turn the king's head with his wisdom. Late hours would find his candle lit and his books open. Geography, math, chemistry, the breadth of his study was matched only by the depth of his desire. Surely a king would appreciate all this knowledge. But there was one sister who had nothing to offer. Her hands were clumsy with the knife. Her fingers were stiff with a brush. When that little girl opened her mouth to sing, the sound was hoarse. She wasn't much of a reader. She believed she had no talent, so she believed she had no gift. All she had to offer was her heart, for her heart was good. She spent her time at the city gates watching the people come and go. She would earn pennies to buy food for her brothers and sisters by grooming people's horses or feeding their animals. She was a simple stable girl, but she had a good heart. She knew the beggars by name. She took time to pet every dog. She welcomed home the travelers and greeted the strangers. How was your journey, she would ask. Tell me what you learned in your visit. She was full of questions for people because her heart was big and she cared about people. They were all the same to her, the beggars and the rich. She cared for all of them just the way they were. But since the little girl thought she had no talent and no gift, she was afraid that the king would be disappointed. She remembered the villagers' advice, and she set her mind about the task of making a gift for the king. She took a small knife, and she went to her brother, the carver. Could you teach me to carve, she asked. Sorry, said the young craftsman, responded. He didn't even look up. I've much work to do. I haven't time for you. The king is coming, you know. The girl put away her knife and picked up a brush. She went to her sister, the artist. She found her on a hill, painting a sunset on a canvas. You paint beautifully, said the little girl, who had no gift but a big heart. I know, the painter answered. Could you share your gift with me? Not now, her sister responded with eyes on her palate. The king is coming, you know. The girl with no gift then remembered her other sister, the one with the song. She'll help me, she said. Look, see the picture? What's she doing? When she arrived at her sister's house, she found a crowd of people waiting to listen to her sister sing. Sister, she called. Sister, I've come to listen and to learn. But her sister couldn't even hear her. The noise of the applause was too loud. With a heavy heart, the girl turned and walked away. Then she remembered her other brother. She took a book with small words and big letters, and she went to see him. I have nothing to offer the king, she said. Could you teach me to read so I might show him my wisdom? The young sage-to-be didn't speak. He was lost in thought. The child with no gift spoke again. Could you help me? I have no talent. Go away, said the scholar, scarcely moving his eyes from the text. Can't you see? I'm preparing myself for the coming of the king. And so the girl went away, sadly, 
she had nothing to give. She returned to her place at the city gate. She took up her task of caring for people's animals. After some days, a man in merchant's clothes came to the small town. Can you feed my donkey? He asked the girl. The orphan jumped to her feet and looked into the brown face of the one who had traveled far. His skin was leathery from the sun. His eyes were deep. His kind smile warmed the girl's heart. That I can, she answered eagerly, leading the animal to the trough. Trust him to me, and when you return, he will be groomed and fed. Tell me, she asked as the donkey was drinking, have you come to stay? Only for a little while. I'm looking for someone, the, king, the man said. Are you weary from your journey? That I am. Would you like to sit and rest? The girl motioned to a bench near the wall, and the tall man sat on the bench, leaned against the wall, closed his eyes, and slept. After a few minutes, he woke, and he found the girl sitting at his feet, watching his face. She was embarrassed that she'd been caught staring, and she turned away. Have you been sitting here long, he asked. Yes. What do you seek? Nothing, she said. You seem to be a kind man with a peaceful heart. It's good to be near you, the man smiled. He stroked his beard. You are a wise girl, he said. When I return, we can visit more. Do you think she'd be happy to visit more with him? The man did return quite soon. Did you find the ones you were seeking, the girl asked. I found them, but they were too busy for me. What do you mean? Well, the first one I came to see was a woodsmith. He was rushing to complete a project. He told me to return tomorrow. Another was an artist. I saw her sitting on a hillside, but the people below said she did not want to be disturbed. The other was a musician. I sat with the others, and I listened to her music, and when I asked to talk with her, she said she had no time. The other I sought have left. He has moved to the city to go to school. The girl's eyes widened as she realized who the man was. You don't look like a king, she gasped. I try not to, he explained. Being a king can be lonely. People act strangely around me. They ask for favors. They try to impress me. They bring all their complaints. But isn't that what a king is for, asked the girl. Well, certainly, responded the king. But there are times when I just want to be with my people. There are times when I want to talk to my people, to hear about their days, to laugh a little, to cry some. There are times when I just want to be their father. Is that why you adopted the children? That's why. Adults think they have to impress me. Children don't. They just want to talk to me. They know that I love them just the way they are. But my brothers and sisters were too busy. They were, but I'll come back. Maybe they'll have time another day. The girl hesitated. Sir, 
What about me? I have no gift, but I would like to be your child. The king smiled. My dear, you gave the best gift of all. You gave your heart, your kindness, your time, your love. Of course you'll be my child. I love you just the way you are. And so it happened that the children with many talents, but no time, missed the visit of the king, while the girl whose only gift was the gift of her heart became the child of the king. The end. Mm-hmm. I like that story. Does Jesus want to be your friend? Mm-hmm. And just wants to spend time with you? Let's have prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for each boy and girl in our church family. We ask for your special blessing on them, that you would show them how much you love them, and that they would respond in love to you, and it would bubble out in love to other people. Show us how we can share your love with the people we meet this week. Amen.
Thursday night, Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. Not knowing what was to take place, Jesus prepared them ahead of time. And, and I want to take this time to, to say that we do practice open communion. But we ask the parents to help us in making this more reverence as possible. There will be cookies for kids that uh, if they want some crackers, they can take some. We're, we'll have a deacon pass that out. And so if you are a parent that... Uh, Wants your kid to participate in some way or another, we have crackers for those kids, for the kids, all right? So as the deacon goes, just let them know that you would like that. And so let's keep in mind of this solemn time. And so that night, he set his disciples in order, and he prayed with them, and he ate with them. And so at this time, I will ask the deacons to rise. And they will pass the bread and the wine. And so, read the both. The ordinances that point to our Lord's humiliation and suffering are regarded too much as a form. They are instituted for a purpose. Our senses need to be quickened to lay hold of the mystery of godliness. It is the privilege of all to comprehend, far more than we do, the expiatory sufferings of Christ As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so has the Son of Man been lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 14 and 15. To the cross of Calvary, bearing a dying Savior, we must look. Our eternal interests demand that we show faith in Christ. Our Lord has said, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. John six fifty three through 55 This is true of our physical nature. To the death of Christ we owe even this earthly life. The bread we eat 
is the purchase of his broken body. The water we drink is bought by his spilled blood. Never one saint or sinner eats his daily food, but he is nourished by the body and the blood of Christ. The cross of Calvary is stamped on every loaf. It is reflected in every water spring. All this Christ has taught in appointing the emblems of his great sacrifice. The light shining from that communion service in the upper chamber makes sacred the provisions for our daily life. The family board becomes as the table of the Lord, and every meal a sacrament. And how much more are Christ's words true of our spiritual nature? He declares, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. It is by receiving the life for us poured out on Calvary's cross that we can live the life of holiness. And this life we receive by receiving his word, by doing those things which he has commanded. Thus we become one with him. He that eateth my flesh, he says, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. John six fifty four fifty six and 57. As we receive the bread and the wine, symbolizing Christ's broken body and the spilled blood, we, we, in imagination, join in the scene of communion in the upper chamber. We seem to be passing through the garden, consecrated by the agony of him who bore the sin of the world. We witness the struggle by which our reconciliation with God was obtained. Christ is set forth, crucified among us. Looking upon the crucified Redeemer, we more fully comprehend the magnitude and the meaning of the sacrifice made by the majesty of heaven. The plan of salvation is glorified before us, and the thought of Calvary awakens living and sacred emotions in our hearts. Praise to God, the Lamb, will be in our hearts and on our lips, for pride and self-worship cannot flourish in the soul that keeps fresh in memory the scenes of Calvary. That night, he broke bread with his disciples. And so you have in your hand the bread that signifies 
the body of Christ and the sacrifice he made for us. And so we're going to kneel as we pray, but you, wherever you are sitting, just give yourself to God and allow him to come into your heart as you accept his body. And so I'll ask one of the elders to pray for the bread. Heavenly Father, as we come before you in this ritual, in this ceremony, we just ask that you would draw us close to you, that you would help us to be one with your spirit as it was when you served the disciples in the upper room and as you died on the cross for us. And we ask that you would bless this bread, that you would help it to, help it to um, draw us into remembering your body which was broken for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so that night, they ate bread, so you may eat. On that same token... As they were eating and reflecting on God's, Jesus' words found in Matthew, uh, sorry, John chapter 14. And as he's giving them the promise of a loved one, which is the Holy Spirit, to convict them of truth, lead them to righteousness. He also tells them and gives them wine, juice to drink. And so at this moment, we'll have another elder Pray for the juice that we're going to partake, which signifies the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary for each one of us. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity that we can gather together and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary and the blood that was shed so that we could be whiter than snow Though our sins be as scarlet, Father. We thank you so much for that wonderful blessing. We ask that you would help us to remember that day after day. And even now as we partake of this juice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that night they drank. You may drink. And I do believe that that night they also sang. And so together we'll sing hymn 327. Jesus And to 
to be the king of a vast domain. have Jesus, please stand with me. And let allow, let's allow God to come into our hearts. We, let's pray. Father in heaven, as we remember what you established with the disciples, we proclaim this day, this hour, your second coming. And we rejoice because soon, very soon, Lord, we're going to see the King. And so, Father, as we partake of it now with each other, I know that there is a feast coming very soon where we're going to partake of this meal together with you. And we will be complete with those that have passed and set the example for us. And I pray that we run this race not distracted, but our eyes fixed on you, our perfecter of our faith. So, Father... As we recommit ourselves to you today, give us your Holy Spirit with power on high. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.